You're listening to the Leaf Report Podcast with Jonas Siegel and James Myrtle. Okay, James, we are into 2016. The Maple Leafs are surprising, I think, most. Um, On a scale of 1 to 10, how surprised are you by where they're at and what they've done? Since November 1st, I would put my surprise level at about an 8. You know, but... In saying that, you know, we were saying, if you go back and listen to some of the podcasts in October, we were saying they, they didn't deserve to be 1-7-2. And, and the crazy thing, though, is what's the record now? 15-8-5 or something like that? That's since right. November, since November 1st. We're recording this before the, the game against the Kings, so we don't know if, if they remain red hot or not after that game. But over that stretch, I think they've deserved that record. I mean, they've played very, very well. It's not like they're hanging on and, and fluking out wins against St. Louis and, you know, the, some of the other Anaheim and some of the other good teams that they've beaten. I, they, they've deserved it. They've been in so many games this year. I I think you can almost count on one hand the, the number of games where they got badly outplayed and really deserved to lose them. It's It's been a complete turnaround from, I would say, the last four or five years where they, they got their heads beaten in. And you look at the talent on the roster, and it's it's pretty similar, I think, to a lot of those weak Toronto teams. So, you know, we say it over and over and over again, but you gotta you got to tip your hat to what Mike Babcock has done in, in really only three months on the job. Well, I thought um, when everything was happening last April-ish, uh, when all the talk with Babcock, I guess it might have been, yeah, it was April, maybe May, uh, whenever it was with Babcock, uh, that it was a little bit over the top. You know, that it was almost like, well, why are they going to get this coach? He's too good. He's going to make them too good. And I always saw it as, like, he could start building a program, and, and I still believe that. But maybe, like, with what he's been able to do with this group, I don't know, maybe the the hype was worth it. Maybe, maybe all the talk, like, was justified. He's done so much with you know essentially the same group as last year yeah yeah and maybe in some ways too it's an indictment of the group that came before and the, the how bad the system was that they played and but, I but think wait, it's a, com- it's a combination it's, it's like going from some of the you know the weakest coaching staffs to to the best and we're kind of seeing how big of a jump that is well but you said and we talked about this the other day you mentioned system i think we and we 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 discussed this we also have to include deployment, right? Yeah. Like it's not just the system. It's it's how players are being used within that system. Well, I think it only took Babcock two games of looking at Dion Phaneuf against other teams' top lines to say, you know, let let we need to try something different than this. Whereas Carlisle and even Ron Wilson were, were doing that for years. I mean, Dion Phaneuf has played the toughest minutes for, what, six seasons before this year. Now he's not, and he looks so much better. And now he's got Jake Gardner doing a lot of the puck carrying to get it out of their end and through the neutral zone. And, you know, all of a sudden the possession numbers for FNUF are are way, way up, and his point totals are way, way up. I think he's on pace for 43 points right now. And, you know, the same story for what he's getting out of Tyler Bozak, same story for what's happening with James Van Riemsdyk, same story for Leo Komarov. I think if you ran the numbers, I remember I did this last year, I should do it again this year, if you ran the numbers for the most improved possession players in the league, the Leafs would have a ton of them. Well, you know, Bozak and Van Riemsdyk would probably be one too. Yeah, in the entire NHL. Probably. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Van Riemsdyk and Bozak were right near the bottom uh, amongst forwards, and now Van Riemsdyk's like right near the top. 
Right. That's and he's crazy. On, I think he's on pace for more points too, right? I mean, I think right. he's on he's he's been very I know I've got I've actually got my range back in my fantasy pool and the beginning of the year, I was I was beginning to wonder if I was an idiot for taking him. But now, I, you know, he he's starting to look take turn a step where I say, you know, maybe he can be a good possession player and be a first line player. You know, be a sixty five point guy. And he's big. He plays well in front of the net. If if Babcock could get him to play well defensively, which was always his problem, I think, you know, in previous seasons, then. Uh, then uh, he's a he's a a pretty good player to have. But it gets back to you know how they're using him. They're not using right. him against other top lines. Like right. he's never facing those guys. Granted, he's going to face you know top defense pairings, but like he's not going against I don't know Stamkos. He's not going against Crosby. He's going against you know second and third lines. Yeah. So you know if we want to look and ahead. starting a lot of shifts in the offensive zone. Sorry. Right. Right, so if we want to look ahead to how do the Leafs take the next step, I mean, maybe you upgrade the center on Van Riemsdyk's line, and then you know they can start taking some tougher minutes, or they can start exploiting those those minutes even even more than they are now. I mean, it's we, the, the Leafs still need to improve on defense for sure. You know, one of the problems they're having is that Riley and Hunwick can't handle other teams' top lines, and you know, you like I think against St. Louis, you know, they had a tough time with that Tarasenko line, especially possession wise. I mean, the Leafs need to get to the point where their first pairing is is dominating possession, not 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 hanging on and not getting beat up by, you know, John Tavares or whatever and they need a number one defenseman, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, they need someone to play with Riley. Right. Like someone really good. Someone I think good. it has to be someone better than Riley to play with Riley, to be honest. If that's gonna be that's your top pairing. I think you I think you need I think they need like a I mean, it's easy to say this. They they need a, a headman, you know. They 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 need a really really good player there. Those guys so, are hard to come by. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's like but, they need a number one defenseman. That's that's. But yeah, to your point, like that's something that they're going to have to add because they've got all these smallish, you know, really skilled forwards, but they don't have that guy yet. I mean, who knows what Riley's going to become? Like the numbers for Riley, I, I wanted to mention this later, but like you look, uh, I think he's got. 18 points or something like that for the year. He's on pace for close to 40. Given that he gets almost no power play time and given that he's facing top lines, like that to me seems pretty good. Yeah, and he's, he's done well at kind of the shot generation side of things and then not so well at the at preventing the, the attempt. So right. maybe that's what he's going to be is, is kind of an, an offense first. I There was one comment I saw on Twitter tonight that I thought was, was pretty good, and it was from that 67 Sound, who's kind of the anonymous voice of reason for, for Leafs fans, kind of. And he said that he wants to see Riley separated from Hunwick so we can see how good Riley is, you know, and that he feels that Hunwick is dragging Riley down to a certain extent, um, that he's not capable of playing against other teams' top lines. And, you know, maybe you should, they should try. I think Jake Gardner's had a good season. Maybe they should try Gardner and Riley together. But then, then all of a sudden, then you got to put a guy on. It's know, just on. You, like, what do you do? Like, you're you're answering the question for Mike Babcock. He's like, I'm sure he's considered all these things, but he's probably thinking, okay, so I don't play Hunwick with Riley. Who am I playing with Riley? And now, who am I playing with Hunwick? Like, they're just not that good, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you said, yeah. like this is not a good defense. And, so, and and look long term, like most of these guys are not going to be here. We were talking about this when we were watching the Anaheim game about how it makes more sense to put Hunwick up against other teams' top lines than than to put Fanuf against other teams' top lines and get beaten up because you know at least Fanuf you you play him against sheltered lines he can generate you some offense and you know he can 
he can he can do some things. You put Hunwick against uh, easier players, it's not like he's going to be all of a sudden he's going to be a forty three point defenseman. So. Right, and this goes back to like it, it's almost like who cares? And it goes back to I remember talking to you about this a couple years ago, where you brought up the point. I can't remember if it was about you know matching uh, a defense pairing or you know a line against another top line, and your point was essentially they should just bury one line because who cares? You know if you bury. X, like I guess Jay McClement in the defensive zone against other top lines, you don't care because you're not getting any offense from those guys. Whereas when they were using Van Riemsdyk, Bozak, Kessel, it's like not only are you making them spend more time in their own zone. Right, and they're giving them 40% zone starts, and they right. were doing that to Phaneuf and Gunnarsson as well. And yeah, so. It's just like you, you don't really, you're not getting offense from Matt Hunwick, so bury him, right? But- Actually, that's one stat that I haven't seen hardly talked about at all, and I wish I had the number right in front of me. But the offensive zone starts, as it, on a team-wide level, are different than we've I think we've ever seen since I've covered the Leafs. You know, but one of the things Babcock's teams do really, really well is they get a lot of offensive zone starts, and I think they're forcing the goalie to hold the puck, and they're they're having good zone entries, so they're getting into the offensive zone a lot, and you know that that helps with possession because you win those offensive zone faceoffs, you get a shot, right? And if you can. You know, I think what was happening with Carlisle's teams is they were last in the NHL in how many offensive zone starts, the percentage of starts they were getting in the offensive zone. They were always down, you know, 43, 44%. Now, I, I don't have the number in front of me. I have the me, numbers in front of me. They're, they're, they're near the top, they're, I assume. They're middle of the pack. Are they? Well, that surprises me. They're but it's, it's a lot better than it used to be. 32% this year. Last year, it was. Oh, I mean offensive versus defense. Oh, okay. You, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would be shocked if they're under 50%. I, I would say that they're at 52, 53 kind of thing, which is which is good. Right. And they, they've had some games where you look at the offensive zone starts, and it's like, as a team, they're at like 65, 70, 75%, which means that they're starting, they're hardly starting any shifts in the defensive zone. And then, then you don't have to have that debate about which line do I bury, because you don't have to hardly bury anybody. Right. Well, that kind of gets me to what I wanted to discuss. We're right around the time... Uh, I don't like the word anniversary for this. I don't think it makes any sense. Fire anniversary? Whatever. Like it's it's. Let's not. Let's just say it's one year since Randy Carlisle was fired. Caniversary? I don't think the people who probably listen to this podcast, and I know you and I are not in this conversation, but there are certain segments of the population that say, "Well, the way that the team performed in the second half um, shows that Randy Carlisle was doing a good job, or something like that." Um, I was talking to somebody about Randy Carlisle recently, and we kind of disagree about whether he is a good coach. I just don't understand how you can kind of build up the case that he is a good coach based on his track record recently. And it, it almost like brings to mind, you know, Lou Lamorello being still a, a quality general manager. Like the evidence disagrees with that in the last few years. We'll see what happens in Toronto. But if you were trying to build a case to say he's a good coach, like I, what would you point to? <laughs> like I, I just yeah. don't. I, it seems like reputations, right, are what right. people live on. Sometimes, same thing right. with John Tortorella. Well, you know what I think. You want to when you when you're covering a team, you're trying to be objective. You want to give people like Randy Carlyle the benefit of the doubt because he's won a Stanley Cup. He's been he was a coach of some successful teams in Anaheim. So I'm, when he was first the coach, you know, he wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I, I think I gave him a long grace period there where 
you know, but I just remember halfway through that lockout shortened season, which I guess was his his, his first real year uh, after taking over at the tail end of, of 2012, and just some of the decisions that were being made, you know, benching Jake Gardner, uh, they were ostracized Clark MacArthur, uh, using Mikhail Grabowski as, as, as a Jay McClement, Clement type of, of checking only forward. Some of the things he was doing, I was like, what is going on? And I remember eventually starting to write some of those things and starting to write about where their PDO was and how they were likely to. And, it, you know, now that's less controversial, but doing that in in 2012, or, or uh, sorry, in 2013 in the shortened season was, I remember I got hate mail and I got all kinds of angry people and they ended up making the playoffs and they ended up playing the Bruins and almost beating the Bruins. And, you know, it wasn't a popular argument back then to say those things. And then, then it, you know, the next season, it, it, it finally came home to roost and, and, and it all fell apart for them at the end of the, the next season. So it's it's been such a weird road as someone who, who, who pays attention to the analytics covering the, this team just because of how strange you know, it's been and how strange their reactions have been. And there are still a lot of people in Toronto that will you know, fervently argue that Randy Carlo is a great coach, but he, no one else has hired him. You know, as far as I know, I think he's only had one other interview, and that was with San Jose, who have made some really curious decisions of late. And it'll be interesting to see when he gets his next job and, and how that team does. Yeah, and it seems... It seems like a hockey thing, and I don't know if it's starting to change, but it seems like reputations kind of live on and people get hired on reputations. Like Jim Rutherford gets hired in Pittsburgh, despite the fact that his track record the previous seven, eight years in Carolina is awful. And it's it's just like, well, he's a good hockey man, and it's, it doesn't match up with um, all the information. And, you know, like John Tortorella gets hired. And, it, and, yeah. it, and, and you know, John Davidson says, like, well, players we talk to about John Tortorella say they really love playing for him but like Travis Yost did this this really good piece on on tsn.ca where he basically laid out why the numbers say that when you know Tortorella comes to a team they get worse yeah do you think teams are looking at these things or are they just going based really because I'm not sure they are well I I feel like they're just going based on reputation saying the bad teams are making those kind of decisions I think the good teams have this thing figured out it's the same for players too I mean it's the same this happens with players all the time you know yeah look at Dave Boland or I mean remember when in the lead-up to the Leafs signing David Clarkson the way the guy was talked about was completely ridiculous you know I, I remember there were people talking about how he had this heavy game and he could help them play more like the Bruins and you know, some of the stuff that was said is just it has no bearing on reality. But, you know, the reputation that players get exceeds what what's actually happening. And I think that that's part of, you know, part of the Leafs players you look at. Like, Kadri's got a certain reputation with a lot of the fan base and some people in the media. Gardner's got a certain reputation with a lot of the fan base and, and some people in the media. And I don't think it has any basis in fact. So, but, you know, it's... That's why, that's why, and I know you and I have talked about this a lot, that's why it's nice to have the data, because, you know, the, the, the data's empirical. It's, it's, what it says is objective. And, you know, yeah, sometimes it can, it can say some things that aren't, uh, you know, it's, it's not always right, but it certainly points you in the right direction of truth. Well, and it, I guess what people sometimes have a problem with, I find, is, and you brought this up the other day, luck. Like, <laughs> luck can be a thing in that, like we were saying for the first six weeks of the year, Nazem Kadri is playing really well. And people are like, well, why isn't he getting any points? And it's just like, well, well, there's a lot of luck to a game that sees, you know, five goals get scored. And if you're generating a lot of chances, you're doing the right things, eventually, 
you know, logic would dictate that you're going to start getting points. And now you're seeing Nazem Kadri. 12 and 12, right? 12 right. points in the last 12 games. So yeah. that just kind of proves the point. But as to Kadri, what would you do? Let's say this Let's say this year is what it is, and let's say he finishes, I don't know, 45, 50 points. What would you do if you were trying to sign him to his next deal? Like, what would you be looking at if you were the Leafs? Oh, man, that's a tough question. I know. So I'll, <laughs> I'll give you my thoughts. For. I, I, I think you go two or three years and keep the money as low as you can. I, I think that what Kadri is is a pretty good second-line center, and that for the Leafs to be a contending team, they need a guy playing. Like, like the... The perfect use for Kadri probably is not facing Tavares and no. Tarasenko, and you don't you like if he's not in that situation. I think he's going to be a, a very, very effective second line centerman, and you know, especially at even strength. You know, it's interesting that he hasn't been on the first power play unit very much this year. I mean, you know, maybe maybe that's not his strength. Maybe he's just really, really good at even strength, and that's that's a very useful thing to have. Yeah. I don't know, maybe like five by three or something like that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Me four point eight by two or three, and I don't know if that's enough for them to want to get it done. But he is RFA, so you know, you look around the league though, and second line centers make a lot of money, and and centers that get fifty, fifty five points make a lot of money, and that's generally what his 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 point base has been in his career. So, right. But I think you keep him. I think you keep them, and then well, you... Well, this is why they did what they did. And this is, like, to go back even further, why you keep Jake Gardner, why you, like... Yeah. Why you don't move these guys just because... And this, like, kind of gets into the conversation of what's going on this week. Why you don't just move players because they're young and maybe they don't fit with your coach. Right, right. Unless your coach is, like, your long-term guy. But, like, I don't know how you felt about the Ryan Johansson trade, but, like, I don't know. It just didn't make a lot... I get it, and yet I don't... Get it. It was interesting. Did you see that that tweet today? Someone put together a whole team of all the players that Columbus had traded since 2011. No, what's the list look like? Oh, I'm trying man. to think of some of the guys now. It, uh, the, the defensemen weren't that promising on they the traded list. Traded Voracek, but the forwards. It was like you know, it was in a, it was Gabarik, Rick Nash, uh, Jeff Carter. It, it, it was a, a very, very... Ex- Broussard was on there. It's a very Voracek. extensive list. Yeah, it was a very, very extensive list of good... It, they, it basically was an elite team worth of forwards. And I think part of what's happening is that they've just kept trading all these great forwards, trying to get better, and defensively is what's been killing Columbus for so long. I mean, how many elite defensemen can you name that have played for the Blue Jackets in, in their history? You can't. I mean... They right. make the trade for Jack Johnson, but he's not that. Here, fill some time, and I'll go bring up the list here. This will well, be great. Do you know what it great is? Radio. Okay, so do you know what's just what's funny about you know how teams say, well, we need defensemen, so we're going to trade a forward to get a defenseman, and then suddenly you create a gap at forward. Do you ever play? I, I know you're looking something up while I say this. Do you no, play? I'm ready. Do you play Roto it. or anything? Any of those fantasy things where you have to like juggle different categories? I don't like the rotisserie version. I like okay, but the, well, I mean, I do know head the to point. head like weekly kind of fantasy usually. Okay, but you know the point where you're trying to juggle all these different categories. Right, so if you take right. something off this one, it's just like you're you're almost taking a step back in one category and a step forward in another. Are you further ahead? Okay, so I don't know. Here's the list of forwards that they traded since two thousand and eleven: Rick Nash, Jeff Carter, Jake Voracek, Marion Gabrick, Ryan Johansson. Uh, Anisimov, Derek Broussard, Antoine Vermette, Marco Dano, R.J. Umberger, Jonathan Marchezeau. The defenseman is uh, Wisniewski, Mathot, John Moore, Chris Russell, 
you know, Steve Mason's, the goal, Steve Mason's the goalie. So, you know, it's... That's, you know what that's, it is? It's it's a lesson that you you got to be really careful about not giving up on guys too soon. That Like, that team would probably fare better than the Blue Jackets, wouldn't it? Is that a crazy thing to say? Well, that's, that's a fictitious team because you're not going to be able to keep all those players, right? Well, they had them at one point, I guess. Yeah. But, the, but, the, but don't you think, like, remember how often and every day it was Jake Gardner, trade rumors? Like, it, it just becomes a thing where teams, like, get impatient, and then they trade him, and then the guy ends up being pretty good. Yeah. Well, so, there's been evidence that Gardner is good ever from right from the very, very beginning. So, especially at, at, at the possession side of things. Well, do you think he he is, do you think we look at him differently now than we would have 10 years ago? Oh, I, he couldn't have even played ten years ago. I don't. I, well, yeah. I mean that—that's a bit excessive. But you know, the game was just so much different. So. No, but even the way that we look at and judge players, like we look and see value in different places now than we used to. Right before, people would would kind of look at. I, I wrote about this because it was crossing my mind a little while ago. But like before, they would have looked at Gardner and said, "Well, he's terrible defensively. He's not physical. He doesn't block shots. He's not good defensively." Even though the numbers tell you something else, he doesn't generate offense. So what is he? Right, and now it's kind of like, well, I, I always think of Anton Strawman. Like they're they're guys that help you in ways that I don't know. Maybe you well, would. if you think about it, the point of a defenseman is not to block a shot or no, like, it's to have the puck. Right. The the objective of the game is to score goals. Right. So the best way to score goals is to be in the offensive zone. The best way to get in the offensive zone is to be a really good skater or make really good passes or be good at getting the puck back or like if we break it down into I think you know I think about this a lot actually when I play hockey in that I understand why I don't want to keep picking on Carlisle but I understand why like someone like Carlisle played played the game for a long time won a Norris trophy he understands hockey on a certain level he understands when he's on the ice what's important he understands that winning puck battles and being very competitive is important and when I play hockey it's like that is so true because if you win a lot of puck battles you you're the first to the puck or whatever then 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 you get the puck in that very small instance and it's very much a case of seeing the trees instead of seeing the forest. So you see that one little micro right. action, but so you think, okay, being competitive and, and hits are important because hits lead to, to you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and then you know, blocking well, shots very important because if you don't block it, you remember that one instance where it goes in and the guy didn't block the shot. But, you know, you, you forget about the the things that you don't, the things you don't see is like a, a nice little, pass that pops the puck to the middle that allows you to go around a defender and get an odd man break or you know i i try and watch the game a little bit differently now and if you i'm sure you've done this before but if you watch the game especially live and especially from the press box just focus on jake gardner and what he does and ask yourself why does he have good possession why is he better than other players at doing that and you see the sort of effortlessness with the way he passes the puck when he's coming through you know, when he's coming through the slot in his own zone and trying to get it up into the neutral zone, you can see him make a play that, that a Hunwick or a Polak or mm-hmm. these other guys can't make. And it's it's, it's not as easily, it, it, for some reason, that kind that action doesn't stick in your mind the way that a guy making a big hit or blocking a shot does. It's just, it's not a, a flashy thing. But if you look at, at the data, it's, it's more important. Well, so. two things on that. It's a really interesting point. Um, it seemed like back even a couple years ago, players would kind of be judged, and, and Gardner's a really good example. 
is you'd you'd base how he played on the one big mistake as opposed to all the the 50 other times he has the puck. So all that sticks in your mind is that one play where he makes a mistake. And you can even swing it the other way where there was a game this year where I, I remember, you know, reporters coming up to Mike Babcock after the game and saying, you know, Dion Phaneuf, he really had a good game tonight. And what stuck in my mind is that was a game where he was he threw a couple really big hits. And then you go and look at the numbers, and he was like a 25% possession. And right. it was just one of his worst nights. But because, like... What did he, Babcock say? Did he say he didn't have a good game? No, or? he just kind of went into his defense of, of Phaneuf, as he has for the most part this year. But the point was, like, that was what stuck in people's mind, that he... Right. he they remember I remember, I remember something. there was a game. I, I have another example. There was a game. Bozak, I can't remember what game it was. I wish I did. But there was a game where Bozak had a bunch of points, and then people were excited about that and like what a great game he had. And Babcock's comment was, well, "I still want him to get better defensively." And if you go back, and I think you did this, and there was a play where Bozak didn't clear the puck and they got scored on, and I think that that's why they lost. I think that's why yeah. the key and then I talked they, to Bozak about it. Right. And he told me like he he's always cheated for offense, and now he's having to, like he's he's having to change the way that he approaches things. So rather when a puck is going off the wall, rather than, than cheating to... to you don't want your center cheating for offense. And that's, that's what, not... he's, that was, what he's doing. That's what he's done his whole career. I see but, that in beer league all the time, too. But so. sorry, <laughs> the second part, I'm trying to remember with Gardner. Um, I interrupted your train of thought. Yeah, I'm trying to think what it was. So it was... Uh, I'll, I'll have to think of it. Oh! I know what it was. Yeah, I was recounting to you one time this conversation that I had with another media member where I was trying to explain the value of some of the analytics. This was a couple of years ago. And and I was trying to explain to him why possession mattered. And and one of the things he said, well, possession doesn't quantify how many puck battles you win. And you said to me, actually, it does. The yeah, amount of time you have does. the puck is indicative of how many puck battles you're winning. And it kind of directly correlated to Jake Gardner and, and kind of, you know, made me continue to think differently about this stuff. So, Well, you look at a player like Dan Winnick, who always has good... I mean, he's, he's the ultimate puck battle winner, right? He's always... He skates hard. He gets in on the puck. He, when he had that injury and he was, it had slowed him down, he was so much less effective because he needs to be able to skate. And... Right. You know, yeah, I think that or Patrice Bergeron. I mean, Patrice Bergeron is the ultimate puck battle winner, or or Pavel Datsuk. I mean, why does Pavel Datsuk have such great possession numbers? He he takes the puck away from players or wins puck battles so well using his stick. He's not a big body guy, obviously, but he's just very very good at taking the puck away from people. And you know, they, that's the thing is that before we had the possession numbers, we couldn't measure who was good at puck battles, or we couldn't measure who was. No, so we'd base it on who we remembered. Right. Right? right. Like, who threw some big hits? I don't know. Who made a bad play? And That's the thing. It's the exact wrong criticism of the analytics. You know, it's like the analytics is the only stat that tells us anything about which players are better at winning puck battles. And, and that's, I don't Listen, know. Listen, James. Analytics are too a drunk. What a lamp post. I don't know. Okay, we need to get to a couple other things before we go. That wasn't um, a very good impression. I don't, well, I don't remember the line, although it's been said a few times. Um, trade deadline is mm, still more than a month away, probably six weeks away. I only see two names beyond the obvious guys that I could see teams looking at and being interested. P.A. Parento, obviously UFA, Michael Grabner. Do you see anyone beyond that um, that, that teams might be interested in? Maybe Roman Polak? 
Well, I think they're going to be able to trade a Matthias, and maybe they don't get a whole lot back for those guys, but they actually don't have that many guys on one-year deals because they gave Hunwick two years, they gave Winnick two years. You no, know, they do. Maybe, maybe they look at trading Reimer. Maybe that's an, that's something that happens. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Teams just would, I, I guess, would just trade it for him as insurance. I wonder if someone would be interested in Bozak. I mean, teams always want center ice. Well, he's the most one of the. I think two the most interesting cases are Bozak and Komarov. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bozak yeah. has two more years after this one at four point two. Komarov has two more years after this one at two nine five. Do you think a team Bozak? I believe is twenty nine. I think he's thirty next year. Um, Komarov, he's having a really good year. One. Komarov, yeah. I think Komarov's the most fascinating one. I wrote about this a few weeks ago, and I'm not—I still don't know the answer because I can see the value of keeping him, but I can also see that he's not going to be. Well, maybe uh, I don't know. He's 29, or he's going to be 29, or is he going to be 30? And he's become a fan favorite. You know, he's going to the All Star game. But who cares about? They—they they can't care about that stuff. Uh, yeah, I, uh, but I, what I'm saying is. He's going to tail off in in the goal department. I mean, he's, sure. not going to, he's not going to continue to score like this. And his shooting percentage is what twenty percent. Yeah, it's like, like that. one of the best in the league, and he's usually like a nine. But I think what percent. what what is true though is that Komarov is a much 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 better fit in Babcock's system, where they have possession of the puck and they've mm-hmm. got a guy in front that can bang in a garbage goal, than in a system where they don't have possession of the puck and they're not getting those rebounds and they're not spending a lot of time in the offensive zone and. You know, I, he looks so much better uh, playing for for Babcock than he did previously. That I think that his value is on par with what that contract is. But uh, you know, the thing is, I think as as an executive in the NHL, you got to be open minded. And if some team wants to give you a great young player for Komarov because he he really sees Komarov as a great uh, playoff player and he thinks he's going to help put them over the top and whatever, then you probably got to do it, right? I guess that's the equation. Like, if if the value of the return is enough to make you say, "Yeah, we don't like we can we can afford it," but if yeah. it's if it's just, I don't know. It's, I it's, think that's what happened with Bozak too. I mean, I think that they they probably could have just given him away for nothing in the summer, and they thought, "No, you know what? Let's let's hang on to him. Let's see what let's see if if Mike Babcock can can get more out of Tyler Bozak than we've seen before." And I I think he's done that. So he's shown what what Bozak is in in more of a sheltered role and playing on a good power play with a good power play system, he can produce. And I think he's on pace for almost 60 points. So, you know, that's that's an example, I think, of where some of the analytics were wrong because people said again and again and again that it was all Phil Kessel that was generating offense, but Tyler Bozak showing that it, it wasn't all Phil Kessel. Yeah, and, and, you know, you talk to P.A. Parento and he just raves about him and he says he's smarter than people think, he's a better passer than people think. But like, if you can trade, if you can get something, uh, an asset of some sort of quality for Bozak, you trade him tomorrow for sure. Well, the reality is they've got to get better at center ice. So who do they replace at center ice to get better? I mean, if if the talk is if they're going to bring in Nylander at center ice and they look at bringing in Stamkos, I mean, there's it's going to get pretty crowded at that position. Not not necessarily they are going to get Stamkos, but you know the reality is is that Bozak's getting older. This is probably going to be a career year for him, I would imagine. And yeah, yeah, sell high and and buy low. Okay, well, this was sorry, this was not planned, but I have to ask you. We didn't, we haven't talked since that whole nonsense became a thing. Am I completely ridiculous to be a little wary? If I'm like, I just think there needs to be more thought into the idea of 
signing Stamkos if you're the Leafs. Am I crazy? I don't think it should be a slam dunk, I guess is the way I feel about it. The the good thing about it is that you don't give up an asset, right? If you can just sign him out of free agency, you don't have to trade a great piece for him. And you're adding an elite player who's still really not that old. And you're taking a gamble that he's going to be able to be productive into his early 30s. And you're getting a really good asset. You know, that's the thing. But, the, th- the thing that, that gives me pause is when we start talking about a contract that gets into 11, 11 and a half, 12 million cap hit. I mean, if we're talking about Stamkos for, for 9 million, then it's like, okay, that's worth the gamble. But then when you start going higher than that, it's like, boy, it's, you're sure eating up a lot of cap space in, in uh, uh, obviously a very, very good player. But yeah, I think that, the, I think you're right. I think there is a but there, but I think I'm more on the side of you do it anyway. It's kind of the same idea as if you can get Babcock, wouldn't you do it? Yeah, but Doesn't... it's not the same thing because it's like there's there's so much to suggest now. I, like, when do you think the Leafs are going to be good? How many years? Uh, based on how they've played since the first of November, I think it's going to be sooner than people think if okay. they can continue to make smart moves. So two years from now, where else are you going to get uh, a number one center? That's that's the thing. I mean, but it, who even knows if he's a center? Well, that's that's. I think. That's Why are the, they not playing him at center? I think that's the debate that's happening in Tampa, and I think that you know I wouldn't be surprised if if when he moves on that it's not necessarily entirely Stamkos's opinion. I wouldn't be surprised if Eiserman's sitting there and saying, I, I don't know. Maybe they don't know if he's a number one center. Maybe I don't they know. think he's. It's. It certainly feels like they think he's better on the wing. I'm just not sure. I don't know. I'm conflicted. Like I don't know about the value. I don't know. I don't know about the timeline. Like, I'm not saying it's... I don't I don't think there's anyone who would say it's a bad idea. I just... I'm not sure. Do I'm you not, ever... Uh, do you look at those hero charts where it, like... Yeah, I like those. Where, yeah. So, like, Stamkos, you look at his, and, like, all the point production things are all, like, off the chart. They're all... They're, like, as high as they can go. And then the you get into the possession thing, and it's a little bit lower. And especially where it's lower is, is against. You know, there's, there's more shot attempts against than you probably would want to see from an elite, elite, elite first-line center, but uh, well, what did, where are you going to get one of those guys? You draft them. Yeah, I, I you know... It's, I don't know. There's just the, be that. I don't like that argument, just but where are you going to get... So sign the guy for a ridiculous contract just because where are you going to get them? Like, I don't... And, and here's the other thing, like, what if the production continues to, di- to go down, and then suddenly you've got this $10 million player who doesn't help you possess the puck and suddenly is, is a 60-point player? Yeah, well, in a, in a I, league I mean, in which the cap is not the, going up, I don't you know. You certainly have to answer the question of whether this is just a down year because of all the other stuff that's going on, and or if it's something for real. And you know, know, it's you you watch Crosby, and Crosby doesn't. I mean, he's he's played better of late, but he doesn't look like a guy that was putting up one point four points per game for so many years. Well, he, look he at all those contracts that teams have signed these guys to. Like how? Yeah. I, granted, I know you have to keep the player, but how many do you think they'd redo again? Do you think you know the Penguins would do that deal for Crosby again? The Ducks with Getzlaff and Perry? I don't know. And Kessler and, and Kessler. yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot of teams with a lot of guys. You know, when they get into thirty three, thirty four years old, making these huge amounts of money, it's boy, I don't know what they're going to do. So. One of the things, and, and who knows if this is the correlation, but I, it's just the example we have because of the team that we cover. Um, I asked Babcock a while back about why he was playing Holland on the wing. He said, because I don't trust him at center. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't 
asked John Cooper. I haven't read John Cooper's comments, but I imagine it's probably the same kind of thing. Wouldn't it be? I don't know. Anyway. It's not like Stamkos is terrible defensively. It's just that... He's a, he's a fantastic player. That's not what I'm yeah. saying. I'm just saying I think it's so much more complicated in the cap era um, about what justifies value. So The thing, too, is if, if you end up drafting a number one center, you end up drafting a player that turns into that. You end up drafting... You know, whoever, whoever the Leafs are going to get. I mean, I don't know where they're going to pick, but based on how they're playing right now, then you've then you've got Stamkos and that other number one center, and then you've got two number one centers, and you can trade one of your number one centers for uh, another asset, right? It's that's the thing I like about bringing in Stamkos is that you're bringing in this elite piece at 25, 26 years old, and you're not giving up anything to do it. But you can't say you're not giving up anything. You're giving up cap space. That is significant. What else are you going to spend the cap space? Who, who are I don't you know. You spend can the cap may- space on. Maybe you get two players. And eventually you're going to ha- well. Have sorry, you looked at who's available in free agency. Yeah, but eventually you're going to have to sign the players that you have. Eventually, but, but right gonna- now the least problem is they don't have players. Yeah, that's value. That's fair. That's yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, don't know. That's that's the debate. I feel like this is the debate that they should be having. I'm sure they are. Yeah. I'm sure they are. And maybe they've set a number and they say, you know, Stamkos is worth. To us, 9.5, but we don't want to go to 11.5. Well, and we saw that with Lamorello and Parise. Who know, like, I don't know exactly what happened there, but we also saw Lamorello sign some crazy contracts that yeah, defy think, belief. Yeah. Doesn't it make sense to sign Ryan Clough for whatever they gave him for? 5 and, and 25? Or, right. Coming Did, off a three-goal season? Right. Does it make sense to... I mean, I know he got hurt, but... No, it was that he was coming off a three-goal season, and they signed him to that. Right. And right. then they signed Zajac for was it eight by eight or something like that? <laughs> I don't think it was quite that bad, but it was eight by six. I'll it pull was, it up. Hang it, on. it was it was very very high. And then so then you want to get into that debate? Are you you don't want to be spending your money on lesser players because you don't have anyone else to spend on? Right. Very valid point. Yeah. So I, listen, that, I, I just that's the debate. I guess what I'm saying is I don't know. I don't have the answer. So the the Zajac was eight years, forty six million. That's a thing. I think that a guy like Stamkos is young enough that he's always going to have value around the league. He's not going to be turned into one of these untradeable guys. He's not going to turn into uh, a fanuf that's going to be, you're going to have to eat $2 million of it to move him. So if that's the case, if he's going to have that value in the next two, three years, that gives you some time to decide, okay, well, I want to trade him in two years, that you're still going to be able to do that. And you, just gotta, you, wanna, you need to make sure that you don't give him too much money that he is still tradable. So... It's about being efficient under the cap too. So well, and it's I, also going to be about what they can do with some of these contracts that they have that they yeah can't move. That's the really big thing because I mean they they get really tight against the cap if they bring in Stamkos for ten eleven million dollars and they don't move out enough for a Lupo or a Bozak. You know they 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 just they have the money to do it, but they wouldn't be able to do anything else. Right. I don't think we have any more time. Okay. Time for leave that Kings here. Yeah, do you have anything else to say? Um, no, I, I really don't. But I think the goaltending is going to be very interesting over the second half. I think if the Leafs get good goaltending the rest of the way, that they're going to hang in this. They're going to, they're going to make this. They're, they're five points out of the wild card spot right now. I think if they continue to get average or better goaltending, that this is they're not going away. Well, and if they make the playoffs, if he's not coach of the year, I don't know who is. Man, I got I wrote that story on Monday, and 
they put the Globe put a headline on it that like kind of oversold what I was trying to say in the story. Basically, said Babcock's the coach of the year or something like that. And man, I got hate mail like all week, and I got. But it's not a ridiculous claim. Like, it, and it's not like we're Toronto pumpers or like just. Oh, that's what I got tires. called. It's, I got called that a lot. But, but it's it's factual. Like, I don't know what what else, what you'd what you'd want, right? Well, I guess people just went and pulled up the standings page, and the Leafs at that point were in fourth last in the NHL, and were like, "This is this makes no sense. This is totally stupid." But the point I was making is they can continue to play the way they have since the start of November. Uh, you know, October wasn't Pabcock. It just wasn't. And no, the thing, was... too, is when a new coach comes in, he needs time to bring in the system, right? He needs time to, to see where different pieces go and to move enough out of the shutdown role. And, move and for players to adjust. And... I had guys telling me that they yeah. were still trying to figure it out. And, yeah. like, they weren't scoring yeah. and they weren't getting goaltending. It wasn't Pabcock. You know, one win in 10 games in October wasn't him. So if we judge... The Leafs, based on what is him and the team adjusting that system and playing it, he uh, he should be coach of the year, you know, because they, you know, since November first they played at a hundred and three point pace. Yeah. So, I mean, people aren't watching the Leafs if they think that that's a completely ridiculous statement. They're not. They haven't been paying attention. Yeah, and that's okay. People, what did what's the Taylor Swift song? Haters gonna hate, hate, hate. I don't know. They play it tons at the ACC. So yeah. And that off by heart. Anyway, uh, I guess... You always dance to it in your seat. Yes, that's a thing that happens. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so let's... uh, I guess we'll talk next week. Okay. Thanks, James. Yeah, see you, Jonah.